title of this morning's message is empower god wants to empower you this morning and some individuals this morning our theme verse of scripture is mark 5 41 and this is where jesus is talking at the end of this chapter saying to the little girl who that the the world said was dead jesus said you're just asleep he said little girl i say to you arise I say to you, arise. And I believe God is calling TWBC. He's calling to us right now as his church. I will say to you, arise. And when you know, you will grow. You will arise. And the heart of DNA is to know who we are at TWBC so we can grow and arise to the fullness of who we are called to be in the power of God. And as we talk about the, this term empower this morning, we, this is why we're going to be empowered is because God wants us to reach, raise eternal and community hope all over this Northeast Texas area in a force state area and ignite nations around the world he wants us to raise eternal and community hope because second corinthians 13 part b it says but we will boast or celebrate or glory in only with regard to the area of influence god has assigned to us to reach even you we know god has assigned twbc a specific area of influence that 20 mile radius and you are going to love how today's message ties into that 20 mile radius and within that 20 mile radius i believe god has given every believer in this house a goal and that means you're going to reach somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ this year. Not you're going to bring them to church and a pastor or a ministry person leads them to Christ. You personally will lead somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ this year because you are going to do it through authentic relationships where people have a divine connection with the Father because you live with a lifestyle of faith in motion. You're always looking for who God wants you to touch. It's observant action. And with eyes open, we reach out and we touch those who need a touch from the Father. And so we're excited about all that God is going to do. And our definition of empower is this. We embrace all individuals by honoring people for who they are, not what they can do. That is so important for us to get this concept. We embrace all individuals by honoring people for who they are, not what they can do. We honor people for who they are. If you're breathing and you draw breath, we want to honor you. We want to show you we love you. We want to reach our hand out to you, and we want to grab a hold of you, and we want to draw you in, and we want to hug you, and we want to love on you, and we want to show you what a divine connection with the Father feels like. Amen. We honor all people for who they are. If you're drawing breath of life, the Father loved you so much, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. If you're drawing that breath that his son died for, we're going to reach out to you, and we're going to reach you. Amen. We're going to raise eternal and community hope inside of you, and we're going to watch the Father move in you, and so then you can accomplish your destiny for all that he's called you to do and all that he's called you to be. Amen? Amen. And it's so important that we get this concept because we honor those. We embrace all people for who they are because you draw breath, not what your gift, your talent, or your ability may be or lack thereof may be. And we have to get that as the church. Mark 5, verse, um, Mark chapter 5, verse 1, this is our, our passage of scripture for today. We're going to read 20 verses just like we did last week. And so I hope you're ready. And verse number 1, it says this, And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Genesaries. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. 
He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus saw him from afar, he ran and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice. He said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him come out of the man you unclean spirit and Jesus asked him what is your name and he replied my name is legion for we are many and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country now a great herd of pigs was there on the hillside and he begged him saying send us to the pigs and let us enter them so he gave them permission and the unclean spirit came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there in the sea the herdsmen fled out, fled and told in the city all and in the country. And all the people came to see what had happened. And, it came to, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, everybody say right mind. He had a repentance moment. He had a change of way of thinking. He was in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might come with him. But Jesus did not permit him and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled at this. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes like Jesus did. That this man that he saw, he couldn't do anything for the kingdom in the state that he was in. But he honored him for who he was, a person that the Father loved. Not necessarily what he could do in the moment when Jesus healed him. I pray that we would have eyes open to look for people like this, that we can develop authentic relationships because we have observant action for what you're doing in their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you've missed out on any of these previous messages, authentic relationships was our first one, as we want people to have a divine connection with the Father. We have faith in motion, which is the second one, which is observant action. We live in observant action. We Every day of our life, we walk around looking for somebody to touch, somebody to pray for, somebody to, to, to impart the love of God to. We have eyes open, and so we're always looking for those opportunities, and these opportunities are there for us, and so we empower people by doing this we embrace all individuals by honoring people for who they are not what they can do Amen. we embrace all people by honoring them for who they are not what they can do there comes the big question as we embrace we embrace all individuals and I get this question in church all the time where do you draw the line pastor where do you draw the line on who we let into the church my answer to that question is this. The answer is this. It is all people. And I'm so glad God did not draw a line with Joel T. Meyer. Amen. I'm so glad God did not say, Joel, first got to get yourself right before you're good enough to come to where I can get you right. If that's the case, he's not God. God's hand is so far reaching that it stretches past my, past my greatest shortcoming to draw me closer to him so I belong to him, so I will believe like him, and then I'll start behaving or having a change of actions to look like Jesus. Romans 5 says this, verses 6 through 8, For while we were still weak, 
At the right time, came, Christ came and died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ came and died for us. He saw the potential in who we were, not necessarily what we could do. Because the Father loved us so much, He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, that if we would believe in Him, we will not perish in the fires of hell, but we will have everlasting life in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's something to celebrate in the house of God. Amen. If you've been born again, you ought to be standing up clapping right now. And people ask me this all the time. Joel, do you ever get tired of doing what you do? And I say, absolutely not. Because every time somebody has a repentant moment, that doesn't mean a salvation moment. It means a change of thinking moment. And they turn their heart a little bit more to the Father. And they begin to adjust their life to look a little bit more like Jesus. It inspires me all the more. Because while I was yet dead in my sins and dead where I was at, Christ said, I love him anyway. And I'm going to help him change the way he thinks in his life. And every time there's an altar call, get this, every time there's an altar call, I pray the prayer of salvation. I pray it. Why? It's not because i got to reiterate in my mental thinking that I'm saved and born again. Why not? It reminds me what he did for me on June 22nd, 1988 at Lake Texoma Church Camp when I got to celebrate a born-again birthday and celebrate being a child of God. I pray that prayer not to say what, not to reiterate what I did, but to honor the Father for what he did for me that day. And it makes me realize I will never take light or make a mockery of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because while I was worthless and not worth being saved, he came and died for me. And some of you are thinking, well, pastor, you've never done something really that bad. It doesn't matter how much bad I've done. The Bible said, even if you messed up on one thing, you need salvation. It's not about how bad you were. And sometimes in the church, we get in these uh, uh, contests where we want to compare our badness to show the grace of God's goodness. And the fact of the matter is, if you've sinned one time, your righteousness is as filthy rags. And so all of us got a story of how redemption has changed our life. And if you can figure out how to tell your story in 30 seconds, you'll lead somebody to Christ. And if I said there's a goal this year that every, this year, every one of us is going to lead something, somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ, here's how you do it. You tell your story in 30 seconds. If you go longer than 30 seconds, you lost somebody's focus, you lost somebody's comprehension. You can, 30 seconds in a convenience store, you can tell somebody your salvation story. With your eyes open, you can connect somebody in that moment in a convenience store with a divine relationship with the Father simply because your eyes were open, you had faith in motion, your heart was for everybody to have authentic relationships, and you're honoring somebody for who they are even though they'll never be able to do anything for you the rest of your life. They deserve Christ. Northeast Texas, this 20-mile radius, deserves Christ. And there are people today in this 20-mile radius, I promise you, who have never heard about Jesus. They've heard about churches. They've seen them on every street corner. But the power of God has not touched their lives, and they have not heard about what Jesus Christ has done for them. So we must have faith in motion, observant action, constantly looking for how we can empower somebody. We honor them for who they are. Not necessarily what we think they'll be able to do for the kingdom in the future, but because Jesus Christ died for them. Why do, my, my question for us many times is the church, and the question goes back to where do you draw the line? We embrace all people, 
Okay? All people. And all means all people. So your hot button political topics, all means all people. My question to you is, if you're not liking all people, why do you expect a lost person to act like a saved person when they're still lost? And how do you expect them to get to know what it's like to be saved until a saved person reaches out to a lost person? If you, can, if you continue to segregate yourself from the lost, we'll never reach the lost. People, say, people ask me this question all the time too. Joel, what is the thing that you struggle with the most in pastoring? It's I don't come in contact with enough lost people. I see saved people all the time. I hang out with pastors all the time. I hang out with Christians all the time. I want to go find some lost folk for crying out loud and tell them about Jesus and what Jesus can do for them and how Jesus can touch them right in the convenience store, right in your grocery store, right in the parking lot. See, ministry didn't happen when I planted a church. Ministry happened when I was pushing grocery carts at a grocery store over 20 years ago. And I got to pray with little old ladies that would walk, I would, as I would carry their groceries out to the car. I got to pray with people who, uh, who, every time they came in, bought cigarettes with their welfare card. Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. And those of us who stand there and judge them and say, I can't believe they're buying that with that. Those are the people you need to look at and say, that person needs a touch to walk away from that just like somebody else did this morning to begin to live righteously. I'm telling you, when we get into this, we embrace all people. And all means all people for who they are because they are worthy of the blood of Jesus Christ just like you are. We embrace all people for who they are, not what they can do. Embrace says this, belong, believe, behave. We want you to come belong at TWBC. Find a home to belong to. Over time, we believe and we know that you'll begin to believe like us because we create an environment for you to connect with authentic relationships. And when a connection happens, your actions will change and then you'll begin to behave like us. See, I don't want you to come in thinking you got to behave like us so you can show that you believe like us to prove that you belong to us. I want you to come in and feel so much love, whether you're in a lifestyle that's, that, that's according to the, to, to the standards of the Bible or not. I want you to feel so much love in the house of God. Come on. I want you to feel so much love from the Father when you come in. You say, I'm not like them. I don't act like them, but I already feel like I belong to them. And then if they feel like they belong to us, they will begin to believe like us. That's so powerful. And you know, I've had somebody flat out tell me this before. They came in with a crazy lifestyle. And they loved it here. But then they realized they were starting to believe like us. And the Spirit of God started working on them. And three months into it, they left. And I said, why did you leave? And they said, I'm not ready to change good that's on them not on us then because they felt so loved they belonged to us they came in and they even started believing like us they started thinking wow my life needs to change i want to start acting like this but the pressures of life drew them back this way where we still haven't let go of them they still belong to us but our intention is to belong to us so much you begin to believe like us and a connection with the father happens because we've had faith in motion we've been observantly looking then you start having a connection with the father you get born again you get filled with the spirit and the power of god then your actions begin to change not because you got born again but because Christ the hope of glory the power of God in you begins to change you from the inside out come on now that's the gospel that is the gospel 
So I'm telling you, if you're on drugs openly this morning or if you're on drugs in a closet this morning, you belong to us. We want you here with us. We want you to feel so much like you belong to us that you start believing like us because you start feeling a connection with the Father. You start feeling a love that you've never felt before. See, embraces, belong, believe, then your actions will change and you'll behave like us. Religion says this. You can't be with us till you start behaving like us. And then when you behave like us, you'll act like you believe like us just so you can feel that you belong to us. See, religion and, religion and relationship, are, they're so close, they're just backwards. Relation is embrace, which is belong, believe, behave. Religion is just the opposite. It's I got to behave a certain way. That's why most people don't come to church, right? I got to behave a certain way because they're Christians and you know you got to dress a certain way. You got to behave a certain way and then, you, then, then if I behave this way long enough, I'll begin to start believing. And no, behavior modification never causes true belief. It only causes more religion. It only causes more of a struggle. It only causes more despair. Only a divine connection with the Father can make you start believing. And that happens because you belong in a loved relationship. If we think you got to behave like us so you'll believe like us, it's only mental ascension, and that never saved anybody. And those people will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And they'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. That's good. I know I'm flying this morning, but it's just in me today. <laughs> Relationships has come belong to us. Come belong to us. We want to love you so much that you don't have a choice but to have an authentic relationship, a divine connection with the Father. We want to love you so much. We love the divorce right out of you. We love the, the, the transgender thoughts right out of you. We love the homosexual tendencies right out of you. Yes. All people, we embrace them. Not because we think, oh, their testimony would be great for our church in the future. No, just because they're a person. Because they live, because they breathe. And if your heart doesn't beat like the man from Global Advance says, like Jesus does, his heartbeat is this. People, 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 people. We've missed it at the as the church. Our DNA of TWBC has been this since the start. Create an environment for people, all people, to come and worship the Father, to have a divine connection. Then they will begin to believe differently, and the truth of God will come into their life, and then they'll be able to behave differently. They will change their course of action in their life. The anoint, I, I'm not drawing a line of who can come and who cannot, or who will reach and who will can't. Because here's what I truly believe. The anointing in us is stronger than the sin around us. Okay? We've got to get this concept as the church. Oh, what if this group of people starts coming? It's going to change who we are. No, the anointing in us is stronger than the sin around us. So many Christians, if you would walk in this revelatory knowledge that the, the anointing in you is greater than the sin around you, you'll overcome every sin and every temptation of sin that comes your way. 
The problem is many times we don't think the anointing in us is so great. That's why you want somebody else to pray for somebody who's sick. No, the anointing in you is greater than the sin or the loss or the hurt or the dying or the brokenness that's around you. The anointing in you is so great. The power in you is so great. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. It's in you and it's greater than the sin around you because it was defeated when he rose again from the dead. The anointing in you is so great. It is so much stronger than the sin around you. And this is how I'll prove it. Because after Jesus dealt with the demonic, he went and got off a boat. And a woman who was unclean with an issue of blood touched him. According to the religious law of the Old Testament, when she touched Jesus, Jesus should have became unclean. How many of you know Jesus didn't become unclean, but the anointing in him was greater than the sickness around him, and his anointing made, that was supposed to, her, her sickness that was supposed to make him unclean, his anointing made her clean just the opposite. Come on, you can't beat that. The anointing in you is so much greater than the sin, the brokenness, the sickness, the racism, the addiction, the cutting, the alcoholism, the, the, the homosexual issues, the transgender issues. It's so much greater than the sin that's around you. If we will just love people and give them a connection with the Father, He'll prove it to them. And you don't have to prove a dadgum thing. So many Christians live their life trying to prove their faith. No, you just need to go love on people. The Bible says they will know we are Christians by our love. Not by our miracles, not by our signs, not by our wonders, not by our healings, by how we love. And when we start loving, you're going to have healings, signs, wonders, miracles, repentance. Baptisms ain't ever going to be dry. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, I love this stuff. This right here is the essence of the gospel. So the anointing in us is greater than the sin around us. So we embrace all people by honoring. So let's get a definition real quick of what honor is, and i got to start rolling. Honor is this. Honor is putting value or worth on something or someone. Honor is simply this, is putting value or worth on something or someone. And a lot of you need to screenshot this photo above my head. Pull out your phones and take a picture of it. Because you've got to get this new definition of honor in your heart. It is putting value or worth on something or someone. See, if you think a homeless person's worthless, you're never going to honor them. But the, we just said we embrace, we, we honor all people. We honor them. The homeless and the rich. The sick and the healthy. The white and the yellow and the black and the brown and the Asian and the African and the, the Middle Eastern and the South American and, the, and, and Australian and whoever you are. We honor you because you're a person. We put value and worth on your life because you're a person. And we love you because you're a person who deserves to be loved. And some of you ladies in here, you deserve to be loved. And you've been living a life to try and get love, but the Father says, I've loved you since before your conception. And the Father even says this to some of you, I don't care how you were conceived. I formed you before you were ever even known in your mother's womb, I've known you. So some of you who are battling with the whole how you were even conceived, there's going to be a testimony come out of that one, I'm telling you. We love you. The Father loves you. So honor is putting value or worth on something or someone. 
Dishonor is treating something or someone as common. Let me give you two examples. When you honor your marriage and put value and worth on your marriage, it's going to flourish. If you think your marriage is common and it's just no big deal, you're going to have affair after affair. You're going to run after everything that's out there. You're going to put everything in its place from softball games and golf tournaments and everything else and fishing trips and shopping trips and everything else in the way of it because it's just a common thing. Oh, that's my old ball and chain. If I ever hear somebody say something about their spouse like that in this church, I'm just saying. I will not tolerate that. Because you know what you're saying? We say, oh, that's my old ball and chain. You're one with that person. The Bible says you two have become one flesh. And so you're saying you're pulling her down just as much as she's pulling you down, or vice versa. I could go, man. Give me a week of vacation and see what happens when I come home. <laughs> now get this. This is what honor does. Honor causes everything around it to elevate. Mm-hmm. I love this. I love this. When, when we honor our kindergartners through fourth grade, when they leave every Sunday morning, we wonder why we, I don't wonder why we have the greatest kids in all of Northeast Texas, because we honor them. And their confidence in their spiritual life is elevating to a level. You know? I mean, when, when, when our rage leaders honor our rage, no wonder we got 240 of them showing up. They tell them they're special, they're important, and the connection with the Father. No wonder we're packing this facility out over and over because we honor people, and it causes who they are to elevate. Everybody loves to be told, you look good today. Come on now. Man, that's what I love doing at that back door. Man, you're looking good today. Great to see you today. People say, why do you still do that? That's old-fashioned. It's not about whether it's new or old. It's I get to connect with people on a ministerial level and have a connection with somebody that I'd never have if I was too good to go sit in my office and wait till the service started so I could come up on stage and be a superstar to preach. It ain't going to happen. I will love and I will always stand at a back door. Because this platform means nothing. It's just giving me more height because I'm short. <laughs> means nothing. You mean everything to me. You mean everything to this church. And whatever it takes to elevate you, to honor you to the place where you realize you are loved by the Father. Where a connection can happen with him. And when he gets you plugged in, I love that verse. He who is forgiven much, loves much. Come on now. The Father wants you to know how much you've been forgiven of. Why? So you'll passionately love much. Not that he needs our love. It's a relationship. And honor causes everything around it to elevate. Dishonor causes everything around it to deteriorate. When you dishonor your marriage, don't don't come to me if it's falling apart. When y- y'all are out doing separate things six nights a week, right? And the seventh night you're just together because you're at a ball game. Don't, don't tell me your marriage is falling apart. And, and I've seen this before. You say, uh, we, 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 we ask this question, how important are your marriage? Oh, it's one of the most important things in my life. Well, come meet us at this time or this day. Well, well I can't take off work to fix my marriage. Yeah. Question, time out for a second. You said it's the most important thing. Yeah, it is, but, time out on the butts. If you had a medical problem, kidney stone, not even something life-threatening, head cold that you can't stand anymore three days in, would you take off of work 
and honor your body and bring it to a doctor and elevate it to a place of healing, well, of course, we take off for medical appointments. You're dishonoring your marriage by saying making money is more important than he or she. See, see uh, we, we've so got to change our thinking. Repent means change the way you think. Change the way you think about things. Whatever you honor, it causes everything about it and around it to elevate. Whatever you dishonor causes everything around it to deteriorate. Perfect example, you could have a mansion in the nicest part of the richest place in Dallas. If you let the grass grow tall and you put a car in the front yard on blocks and you let a broken lawnmower sit out in the front yard and a trashed out weed eater on the other side, it would cause that property value to deteriorate because you've dishonored it. This isn't just a spiritual concept, it's a physical fact. When you dishonor your body and, and, you, and you put all kinds of junk in it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and then you can't do something because of the shape that you're in, your body has deteriorated. But when you honor the things in your life, anything in your life, even when you honor the bad things, it causes the bad things to elevate. <laughs> right? When you dishonor Scripture, it causes Scripture to deteriorate. And so, we embrace all people by honoring them, putting value or worth on them, causing them to rise to a level they have not come to before. That's why our theme verses, I say to you, little girl, arise, come to a new level that you haven't been to before, experience something that you haven't got before, come to a place in Christ where you haven't been before, and reach, our reach thing, raising eternal and community hope is all about honor, putting great value and worth on those assigned to us in this 20-mile radius, putting great value and worth on everything about this 20-mile radius. That's what reach is all about. We want to cause this area to elevate to a new place. And I love this. They are people. We honor them because they're people. Not, they're people for who they are, not what they can do. If we limit honor to only what people can do, we never give somebody the opportunity to grow into who they are. If we limit to honor only to what people can do, we never give somebody an opportunity to grow into who they are. If somebody comes in this building and you think that they're worthless, they're worthless to you. And you'll never give them the opportunity to become who God's called them to be until you change your thinking and honor them just because they're a person and for what they can do. When somebody walks in and, they, they, and they're, they're broke as can be and their life is in shambles and they're sitting by themselves, do you go sit with them? Do you honor them? I mean, there should be a rule in church. No one sits alone, ever, even if you want to. I know some of y'all want to sit by yourself and give my four seats on all sides. Oh, we love you too much to let you sit alone. We love you too much for that. We're going to honor you. You got somebody here with us. And Jesus gives the perfect example of this in, Mark, in the passage we just read of Mark 5, 1 through 20. Jesus encounters a social reject. He was a bound man, out of control. He was unclean and had unclean demonic spirits in him. He was living among dead people. He was uncontrollable. He would cut himself, not to mention he was dirty, naked, and smelling. Boom. Jesus gets off the boat. And he says, I'm going to train my disciples about the DNA of Christ, of empowering people. We embrace all people. 
all people by honoring them for who they are, not what they can do. Jesus gets off the boat and encounters this man. Now, if, if Jesus were only to honor people for what they could do for him instead of who they were as a person, this man would have died in his hopelessness. So Jesus stepped off the boat and encountered this man, changed his life. I love how we read the end of this passage, and it says something happened, not just spiritually, but physically. Because this man, it says he was clothed, sitting in his right mind, basically listening to Jesus. So after he got delivered, somebody had to go get him clothes, right? This is the part we don't read, but you got to read. You had to get him clothes. Probably they would have washed him, gave him some kind of a bath. I mean, there was a sea right there that just had 2,000 pigs go drown in it, right? Better get in there quick, I'm telling you. <laughs> and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. And then he asked Jesus a pointed question. He says, Jesus, I want to go with you. And this is what happened in verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed and begged him, begged Jesus that he might be with him, but Jesus did not permit him to go. He said, go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to tell them the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for them and everyone marveled. Listen to this. Jesus' no was not a rejection to the man. It was a great commission to the man. The no from Jesus was not a rejection. It was a commission. See, a lot of us want to say, oh, pastor, well, I would love for you to go with me to do this and go with me to do that. I say, no, you go pray for them. It's not a rejection. It's a commission. I believe so much in you. I don't got to hand walk you through a prayer with somebody. Go start praying for folks. Go touch somebody's life. You don't got to drag them to this church for me to do it. You go do it. Do it wherever you're at. I believe in you. My... Proverbial no is not a rejection. It's a commission. Jesus told this man, go and tell your friends and your family how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. His no was not a rejection. And some of you got to quit taking rejection and taking offense to stuff because God's no is not a rejection. It's a commission. In your life, many of you have prayed for career promotions. And sometimes it hasn't happened. Your rejection was not a no. It was a commission to do something greater where you're at. But many of us took offense and I'm going to quit. I'm going to find another job. And that boss won't speak to me like that no more. And I just don't like him. I deserve I was better than him. I was better than her. I should have done it. But I could do it five times. I've been here three years longer. You took rejection and offense rather than a commission to change where you're at. We must, as the body of Christ, take the commission to change where you're at. We must begin to look at this 20-mile radius. As our kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're here. Let's start making it great. And trust God to bring you to where he wants you to be. Now, this is the cool part of this whole story. This is the part that I live for in this story. And it says... He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Now look at this. It says he proclaimed in the Decapolis. Deca means ten. Polis means city. He went to preach ten cities from where he was at. He went to preach not just in Sulphur Springs, but in Yanis and in Miller Grove and in Sulphur Bluff 
and in Saltillo and in Mount Vernon and in Winsboro and in Como and in Picton and they're not the same city. Don't get that wrong. These people will... Listen, I married a Picton girl, right? First time, somebody asked, where's she from? Como, Picton. I am not. I am from Picton. Thank you very much. There are two different cities. Don't get it wrong. And in Winsboro, and in the other, Sulphur Bluff, and in Seymour, and in Martin Springs, and in all the other places around, and in North Hopkins. He went and told about the mercy of God in ten cities. And God began to work in this man's life. Now listen, I want to tell you what this guy did. When Jesus met this man who could do nothing for him, this man, this demon-possessed man, he could do nothing for Jesus. Can you understand that? There are people who are going to come in this church and say, well, they can't do anything for the church. It's not about them doing something for the church. It's about them being people and you love them. Man, quit looking about what can get done for you. What can you start doing for somebody? And it says, this man could do nothing for him, but Jesus honored him for who he was, not what he could do. Now, I want you to tell you the results of this man going and preaching in the Decapolis, this 10-city area. you got to look at Mark chapter 6, verse 53. And it says, but when they had crossed over again... They came to the area of the Gennesaret, which if you study historically, Genesaries where he previously was with the demon-possessed man, and this area here, the Genesaret, are the same area. And they went to the shore, and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran from the whole region to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And whenever he came in their villages and their cities or the countrysides, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. Hello, we just heard about that. As many as him touched him, listen to this, as many as touched him, as many as touched him, were made well. One demon-possessed man who could do nothing for Jesus, his no was not a rejection, it was a commission to go in a 10-city area. When Jesus landed back in that 10-city area, he got out of the boat. People recognized him when he got off the boat. And they came flooding from the 10 cities. (laughs) Come on now. And God touched every one of their lives. How do you think they heard about Jesus? The stinky, smelly man that was naked, who lived in the tombs, that was no good, that would cut himself, that person that all of society had written off, that they said, don't even come into our areas, stay in the mountaintops in the cemetery, that thing that society has said, you're worthless to us, you have no value for us, we dishonor you, and he devaluated himself, so he was cutting himself, and that person that the world had rejected, a societal reject, when the power of authentic relationships and the Father connected with him, he went and told in a 10-city area what God had done for him, and then thousands came and got healed, as many as touched him, got healed, the Bible says. So who have we written off in our 10-city area? And take this for what it is.
How many, and I love this guy dearly, okay? How many Kojaks have we written off? How many of him have we written off? Saying he's just biding his time. I've even asked myself this question. Who's going to pay for his funeral when he dies? I pastor a church and I'm waiting for a dude to die. I've got to change the way I think. Jesus walked up to this man and said, watch what I'm about to do. And so... The people in our city, who have we written off in our Decapolis? That the Father says, I just need to touch them. And they may live even among dead people and be smelly and stinky and the most alcohol addict that you've ever seen. But oh, when the power of God touches somebody, when it touches them, they belong, they believe. This man started behaving differently. So much so that in a city area, they flocked to him. Now, I want to read one more thing as I close here this morning. These weren't no-name cities. One of the cities was Damascus. Remember on the road to Damascus? Who encountered Christ? Paul. Saul to Paul. The city of Philadelphia. One of the seven churches is Philadelphia in the book of Revelation. And have you ever read the scriptures and wondered how, as disciples were scattered because of persecution, they would go to areas and realize people already heard about Jesus and were already believing? See, it doesn't take us going around the world. It takes us embracing people just because they're people, not for what they think they can do, not because if we think we can clean up a smelly person and put them in a suit and put them on a plane around the world. No, we just love them because they're people. And God says, I will spread my gospel through how you love people and you will transform literally a 10-city area, not just for the generation you're in. Paul was a next-generation believer. Mm, Come on now. See, you don't know what loving on that little lady in the scooter at Walmart will do. You don't know what loving on that person who you see in the convenience store every single morning because you were creatures of habit. I know you do the same things all the time, every single day. Because I do it. You never know who you'll touch in our 10-city area by empowering people. As the worship teams come and as the ministers come this morning, um, if y'all need to be set free from any addiction at all, I want you to come up here to, to Damon and Lord. I want them to pray for you as we're getting ready for this altar call. Embrace. If you don't feel like you belong here, we want to pray with you because you belong. If you don't believe in the power of God, come and pray with us because we want you to believe. If maybe some of your actions aren't lining up 
like you actually believe and belong, come pray, and we'll pray for your actions, your behavior to change. Because we love you unconditionally no matter what. Always and forever, we always will. We will be a church that loves people. And I've said this from day one. I don't care how great our worship is. I don't care how great my preaching is. I care that if people walk in and do not feel loved, we've missed it as the church. And if you've ever felt not loved here at TWBC, I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask it in the most serious way possible. I ask for your forgiveness. Because our heart is to embrace. And if you've ever felt rejected, I ask for your forgiveness. Our heart is not to reject, but to embrace. And if you've ever gone through a trial and felt like the church hasn't been there for you, I ask for your forgiveness. Because we want to embrace all people for whatever circumstances going through in your life. Because when we feel that, when you feel that we love you and the power of God loves you and the Father loves you, His power will come touch your life. And you'll begin to believe. You'll begin to have hope once again that God is the God you read about in the Bible. That a church isn't a machine trying to accomplish something. It's the body of Christ truly reaching out His hands to touch you. And this morning, if you've never met this Jesus that we've been talking about, I want to tell you about Jesus. The Bible says if you confess out loud that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved and born again. Today is your day for the greatest day of your life.